0: Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Unbeatable, my first episode in 2023. And I get a chance to talk to my buddy. Brent Crowe and I got a chance to get to know each other. Oddly enough, in a PhD seminar, we're sitting across the table and we're staring at each other, two guys looking at each other for two days in this really, really awkward situation until finally Brent says, I think I recognize you and I say I think I recognize you too and it started a friendship that has continued to this day. There are only a couple of guys that I respect like I do Brent Crowe and I want you to hear about him as a leader of his family, him as a leader of his business. I want you to hear how Brent Crowe is leading students that can change a country on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Brent, thanks so much for being part of this episode of Unbeatable. It is always good to connect with my buddy.
1: Well, man, it's, it's an honor anytime I get to sit down and have a conversation with you. I, I, I feel like I always want to take a page of notes.
0: And I feel the exact same way about you. We got a little man crush going on with each other here um, because, Brent, you're the kind of guy that I've decided when I grow up, I want to be like Brent Crow. Oh,
1: gosh. OK, that's how we're starting out. All right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think people can read both of our resumes and realize that falls under a category of uh, hyperbolic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey man, uh you you tell the students at uh, SLU Student Leadership University this story, but why don't you mention real quick to everybody who's listening how you and I first ran into each other because I was thinking the same thing about this this dude sitting across the yeah. table that you were thinking about me. So, so yeah. tell everybody about that time that we first met.
1: Well, you know, the rest of the world has seen you on TV and in movies and read the books and 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 knew the 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 hero that you are. I'm sitting in a classroom working on a doctorate, and you are as well. And we have a professor, if we're talking about real man crushes, who had That's had right. a particular uh, affinity to uh, uh, you and, and loved what you had done and always referenced you. And I'm just sitting there after day three. I'm not the brightest. But after about day three, I'm going, this guy's really important. And uh, I just turned to you and I went, I'm sorry. Uh, it's my bad. I'm not trying to be rude. I don't know who you are. Please tell me. Because you're in shorts and a t shirt and flip flops. I mean, you know, That's right. so heck yeah. And so, anyways, you go, ah, uh, you know, I served as an Army Ranger, did this, and that. As soon as you said that, I went, I know who this guy is. I know who this guy is.
0: Well, here's the rest of the story. I'm sitting across the table from you for about two days and I keep looking at you and I'm like, man, I don't want to stare at this guy and appear like I'm a mm-hmm. creep, but I know I recognize yeah. him and I have no idea where I recognize him from. And finally, you and I get a chance to talk in the yeah. hallway after a break. And I'm like, oh, of course mm-hmm. I know who Brent is. Yeah. Two days in and the it, classroom staring at each other across two the days. table, really
1: awkward. And I in that we had coffee that week. I asked if you'd come share with our students. That was years and years ago. And yeah. I can say that uh, probably thirty, forty thousand 40,000 students later, you're one of the, one of the favorite uh, guests who come and speak um, in our nation's capital. We've, it's a full event, fills up every year, and people line up around the block just to shake your hand afterwards. And, and uh, even my staff when I came in today, told me that was when I came through as a student, that was my favorite session. So grateful, grateful, my friend.
0: Well, I'll say this to you. I I tell the students this every year um, in D.C., but this is the only event that I will ever do twice. And I've made a commitment to you, Brent. I'll keep coming back as long as you invite me back, because I am so much of a believer in what student leadership stands for, who you guys are and what you're attempting to do everybody else who invites me back a second time, I say, you know, there's better guys that can do that Mm -hmm. than me. But SLU, I'll keep coming back for the next 30 years if you keep inviting me back.
1: That would be a privilege and an honor for us. So thank you, my friend.
0: Um, part of getting to know you a little bit, I'm asking the guests to do this hypothetical. Let's mm-hmm. say I give you one day, Brent, you got no work, you got no writing, no speaking, no teaching responsibilities, total free day. You could do anything you want anywhere you want with anybody that you want. What do you do on this free day and more importantly, why?
1: Well, I'd probably sleep a little bit because I have six uh-huh. kids, so uh, uh, sleeping in, which for us in our house means getting to about 7 or 7.30 in the morning, would be a big deal, and of so I'd course. probably sleep in, sit on the back porch with a little coffee, I'd want to spend an hour reading, uh, then I'd want to take the heart of the day and play with my kids, and then I'd like to take my wife out to a nice dinner that evening. Nice. Hey, tell me what you're reading
0: for an hour on the porch with a cup of coffee.
1: If it's in the morning, I'm probably reading a biography of some kind. I, I I love historical leadership, and think one of the best ways to to learn about leaders in history is not to read leadership books, but to read biographies and autobiographies. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. You and I share that same passion, Brent, um, I'm aware, but for the listener, mm-hmm. you did your PhD in, bio, you You basically studied some phenomenal leaders mm-hmm. and kind of described who they were as people and how they yeah. led well. Um, and yours is one of the few PhD dissertations that I would tell <laughs> people that dissertation is worth reading if you get a chance. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about um, having a really busy family, because when you said seven o'clock, 730 in the morning is sleeping in, every parent with young children says, I know exactly what you're talking
1: about. Right? I feel that pain. I feel that pain.
0: Your family grew and your family grew by multiplication, not Mm -hmm. by addition. So describe Christina for a minute. Talk about the children. Um, but I'd like for you to explain a little bit about the adoption process and mm-hmm. what that was like for you, but sure. more importantly, yeah. how radically your family changed in a very short period of time.
1: Yeah, it, it was a uh, a story that was slow to unfold, but when it finally did unfold, it felt like it happened at a breakneck pace. Um, you know, I, I met my wife 20 plus years ago. We, uh, uh, you know, fell in love. We got married quickly. Um, uh,
0: because when she's beautiful and you know, she's the one, why wait, somebody else will sweep in and
1: steal her. I didn't want her to figure me out. I mean, this, I met met this amazing woman who graduated with honors from Harvard and worked at MIT and. I grew up in the country, man. And uh, they, they <laughs> and were like, you if you totally
0: <laughs> had her fooled when she went to the al- altar.
1: Totally had her fooled. I didn't have her parents fooled, but I had her fooled. And uh-huh. uh, anyways, we ended up getting getting married. Uh, we, I think we dated six months or something like that. Um, and then we, we knew. We had, we had a shared dream. We wanted to build a family together. Yeah. Um, I was in vocational ministry, which meant I served in ministry full time. That's how I earned a living, and um, and you know, it just you
0: were just above the poverty line um, because you're yeah, in
1: ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting paid in in pizza and gas money. Uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah, no. So we we uh, ended up ha- having three kids uh, the old-fashioned way, and in 2006, we went uh, away for a couple of days just to get some time together and we laid out some family goals and some marriage goals and some uh we try to do that once a year and that year in 2006 we for some reason we both said man we're starting to think about this thing called adoption and then we had some but we had some other things we needed to finish first i need to finish school right Um, we needed so we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew and we knew if we ever crossed that line of adoption it would require all of our attention and more energy than we probably had to give. So I graduate in uh, you and I both graduated in 2013 Mm -hmm. with our doctorates after those that hard earned uh, 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 the the robe that they put on you at the end, that seal of approval. And we started the journey towards adoption. Now, I don't want to throw shade on the system, Jeff. Um, I don't want to
0: before you do that. What started you guys even thinking about this and talking about it? Why adoption? Well, you we only have three or you, you're, a, you have a growing family at this point.
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah. We had three kids. We were, we were, you know uh, when you marry a woman who dreams bigger than you dream, um, then you better always come to the table prepared. All right. And so like she, that. she had been dreaming. She had been, uh, journaling and praying and thinking. Um, and we asked ourselves a question that we ask um, our, uh, our students at SOU. And that is, what would you do if you knew you would not fail? And we, we had some friends, some very close friends and mentors who mm-hmm. had adopted a child and adopted a couple kids, excuse me. And we had watched how difficult, how grueling of a process that was, but yet, at the same time, this this couple had more joy than than I'd ever seen, and yeah. wow! And it, it was like the the more they struggled, the closer they were in their in in the, to each other, the closer they were in their faith, the, and somehow there was this indescribable in one sense joy. there so there were yeah. some mentors who had modeled this for us. Now I had been journaling, she had been journaling separately, and when we went. To get a couple of days together in 2006 we said hey what would what would we do as a couple as a family for the for if we knew we would not fail and she had written down adoption and i had written down adoption so that's kind of the conception of it if you will that's where the idea was conceived
0: i love the language by the way you watched another couple that went through this very Mm -hmm. painful very difficult process and you and christina said sign me up i want part of that too yeah. Um, because of the beauty that comes along with that struggle together. Right.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we went, we, you know, we I graduated in 2013 and we we jumped in like we're like, OK, what do we got to do when we, you know, you hear all these horror stories about the system. And so we said, you know, we're going to we're going to we're going to have some good news come out of the system. We're going to go yeah. through the normal you know, uh, uh, avenues of, of what you have to do to adopt. We're not going to jump to the front of the line with a lawyer or or an agency, not that Mm -hmm. those things are bad. And, um, and so we went in and, and it took us about 18 months just to get through the classes, to get through a home study. And then we ended up sitting starting in 2015, we ended up sitting in the system for three and a half years and nothing. Three and a half years. Nothing.
0: Really? So they've already come into your house. They've inspected everything. They've done the background check and you hear nothing for three and a half
1: years? Nothing. My wife would call weekly. And because and, wow. when she, once you go through that process, you have access to a registry for your state of uh-huh. little boys and little girls that need homes. And so my wife's calling going, I'm looking at the registry and, you know, she's an Italian. You know, some stereotypes are true. Let's just can we just be? an Italians yeah, okay. will either love you or they'll kill you. And 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 if you don't <laughs> believe me, you think, oh, Brent, that's that's rude in this 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 tender day and age in which we live to say something like that. Ask an Italian; they'll tell you. And they'll tell yeah, you that, yep. that's us. We'll either love you or kill you. There's no in between. So with my wife, it's either all love or let's go to war. And so um, she would. She she had a lot of hard conversations with different yeah. folks and just we came up goose eggs brother we just kept striking out so after several years we went maybe we missed it maybe we're supposed to raise money maybe we're supposed to advocate my dad is disabled and my parents were ended up during that time moving in with us so we could care for my father maybe Maybe that's what we were getting prepared for. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. you just try to justify when things. Yeah, don't work you start out. to
0: wonder like, did we miss something? Are we heading down the wrong road right now? Yeah. Three and a half years of nothing make, yeah. means maybe we we made a mistake.
1: Yeah. So after playing that weird game of cosmic connect the dots, um, we just went okay. We'll just wait to see what's next. Now, if you fast forward to February of 2020. Somebody sneezed and the whole world changed. I mean, it just, it just yeah. Jeff, our world got yep. turned upside down. There was a you know. sneeze
0: in uh, Wuhan, China, and everybody in the world, uh, you know, caught or everybody in the world started yep. to wipe their nose.
1: Yep, and and I'm not. Listen, I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not saying something was Nor real or not real. I'm just saying it seemed like one month. There was this idea that was out there, and the next month, all our lives were turned upside down. Yeah. So I'm sitting in my uh, I'm sitting in my office trying to figure out how we're going to make it through as an organization, and 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 working hard every day and trying to reimagine and whatnot. But uh, yeah. I was out in the front of our property. We live out on some property in Cal Country, USA, and the state of Florida. There's more than Disney in Florida and yeah. there's more. That's Disney. Right. I was going to say people need
0: to hear that down in central Florida, there's more than just theme parks. <laughs> there are a few right. cattle and a, yeah. bi- a couple of big farms down that
1: way. Yeah, there is. So we, we bought a little farm and I was working on it out uh, in one evening and my wife comes walking outside and she had received an email and she was holding that phone up and she, I could, she was on a mission and I, <laughs> I go, Whoa, so she's got something in her head. And yeah. uh, she comes up to me and she said, "I got this email and I got an idea. I need you to read it." And I'm going, "Okay, you know." And then I read the email. The email is from a lawyer who's in child advocacy, who's a friend of ours.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: she started the email out this way. Now, I don't, I don't like it when people call me old because I'm not. But the email started this way. I know you're past this phase of life. That's lawyer ease for I yeah. know you're too old. You're old. Yeah. You're old. Yeah but i've got a sibling group of three and if something doesn't happen very quickly uh they're gonna get they could get split up we just don't know what's gonna happen and i know you know a lot of people so could y'all help me get the word out so i read this email that's all the information we have Uh uh-huh i read this email i look at my wife and i go uh okay babe so what's your idea and by the way from this point forward for the rest of our lives I got an idea is the understatement of the pandemic. For uh-huh. us. And so I, she said, I think those are ours. I think that we were waiting all this time, not for a kid, but for three. And I went, babe, you don't, you don't know anything. It's an email from a friend and she's yeah. saying we're too old. She right. goes, I think, I think those are our kids. And I go, uh, and so she asked me to pray with her. I prayed with her. We uh-huh. went in the house, we called this lawyer and, I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of both of our mouths where we were going, we feel like this is for us. And now here's the yeah. crazy thing from 2006 to 2019, and 18, 19, nothing happened. We, we didn't get a kid. We did right. From the moment we got that email five weeks later, those three children were in our home. Wow. So, yeah. And, and, and it was a glorious conspiracy where judges Held court on Saturday mornings uh-huh. on their front lawn. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, everybody chose to to kind of bend the system just a little bit to keep these kids from getting yeah, lost. So that the children in the
0: didn't split up, right? Yeah.
1: So five weeks from when we got that email, so we're walking into the pandemic. We have no idea what's going to happen with our lives, with our our, our income or nothing. Your
0: business, your finances, all nothing, of them,
1: right? nothing. And we we double the size of our family. So yeah that's the that's the adoption story
0: <laughs> i hope the listener just heard what you said already have a wife three children got a, a beautiful family you've had it on your heart to adopt but you go from three to six children literally overnight and there's no way of exaggerating the amount of change that just introduced to yep. your family not only right. three children that aren't your n- biological children and. And, you know, don't understand the family rules, family dynamic. But, wow, you just went from a parent with three children to a parent with six children. And as a dad of five, I'm thinking, man, to skip from three to six would be mind-blowing. So can you describe for very briefly what the massive change in your house was like when
1: these three show up? Well, you know, we when you bring three children that have been through some significant trauma into your house, uh, and we had three kids already, you don't have three kids with trauma in your house. You now have six.
0: You now have six. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it.
1: And so it's, we, we brought, what we said is when when you adopt, you're just going, Hey, we don't need you to get fixed before you get here. We just need you to come here because we're going to love you. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we brought, yeah, we brought a lot of, it was just a lot of, a lot of baggage, a lot of trauma, a lot of, a lot of things been done to these babies that nobody should never oh, have man. been done to a yeah. child. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it's tough and it's still, we're still discovering stuff three years later. Yeah. Um, and you just look at it in, in to be quite honest with you, as a man, my biggest thing is I, I want to go hurt somebody that hurt these kids. Yeah. I mean, just, just yeah. give me, give me five minutes in a room with no cameras. I'll, I can handle this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, and so that's a struggle I have that, that anger deal. But the reality is my job is not to exact revenge. My job is actually not even to try to fix them. My job is to love them and yeah. to love them well. And so we have a little mantra in our house. We wake up, your job is to wake up and choose love and then do your best all day. And, and so every day we try to choose love and then we try to pursue excellence.
0: I love that language. You get up every day. You choose love and do your best.
1: Because the type, the type of love you choose determines the type of excellence you pursue. Yeah. Uh, what you love will either deliver you or it'll destroy you. And so, um, if you if you can love well, then you can live a life of excellence uh, in all things. You know.
0: Yeah, and honestly, Brent, what you're doing right now is just making life. Um, Understandable for most people. Look, circumstances are crazy, and Mm -hmm. things come and go in in your world. And if you wanted to set a goal before you worthy of pursuing, just get up tomorrow, choose love, and then do your best with whatever life throws at you. You do that day in and day out over a lifetime, and that is a very successful Mm -hmm. lifetime. No matter how things end up at the end of your Mm -hmm. life,
1: that's right. You never you never regret your life when you choose love. I've never yeah. met somebody that goes, man, I spent all day loving well, yeah. but boy, I really regret it. Never. Yeah. I don't know about you. I, was, I didn't mean to interrupt that's you. Right. I'm sorry, brother. But have you? I've never met somebody that loved well and regretted it.
0: Yeah. You're not going to lay on your deathbed in a hospital room and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, I was about to say, one of the things that I really respect about you, man, and you know how I feel about you is mm. you as a leader. And I've watched you and your family go through this adoption thing, and I was just blown away. Adoption changes everybody. Mm -hmm. It changes the parents. It changes your children. Mm -hmm. It changes those children that you adopted. And I watched you lead your family through adoption, and I was just absolutely impressed by that. Mm -hmm. But I also... Because you and I know each other and because we've been connected for a while, I watched you lead the business of mm-hmm. student leadership university through COVID. And for people that don't understand SLU, I'd like for you to explain the way mm-hmm. that SOU is structured before right. we get into COVID. Because you and I both know COVID had the potential to put you guys in bankruptcy mm-hmm. and you'd never recover from it. And you led well. Right. And spoiler alert. Uh, SLU is doing as well now or better on the other Mm -hmm. side of COVID as you guys ever were before. But describe the way SLU is structured Mm -hmm. so that people can understand what COVID really did to you guys.
1: Yeah. Well, we're an organization that focuses on leadership development for uh, primarily high school students. Uh, There are three divisions of our organization. So we do a spring tour, which is about 20 cities. Uh, it's a Friday night, Saturday event with probably 1,000 teenagers in the room. And mm-hmm. um, and then we, then we do five, uh, 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 and that's uh, one division. A second division is we do five gatherings for uh, people who work with students, who are practitioners, who mm-hmm. are serving students, working with students, teaching students. And so that's about 8,000 youth workers, if you will, across five events. So those are two divisions. We call it the Lift Tour and Youth Pastor Summit. But that leads into the heart of our ministry, which is this leadership development arm. And so we do a, a journey for high school students that is a series of conferences um, that start with what's called Student Leadership University 101. We do that in Orlando, Florida, San Antonio, Texas, Southern mm-hmm. California. And we offer, I think, like 10 options a year, 10 conferences a year of 101. Sou two hundred one is in Washington D.C. Three hundred one is London, Oxford, Paris, and Normandy. Four hundred one is the Middle East, focusing primarily on the uh, Israel, some some uh-huh. spots in Palestine and, and Jordan. So it's a comprehensive journey, but you put all that together uh, from a business standpoint, Jeff. And we run events. We put on and yeah. run events over forty events a year. And now the world, now with everything that's happening in the world, in in, a, in less than a couple of weeks, we're told no more events. Yeah. And And I just want to say for
0: for the listener, not only do you guys run events, but you run exceptionally large events and your events are done with excellence. Brent, you've already used this word once or twice today. But man, when I sit back and watch the way that you do events, I'm thinking some of the world's greatest corporations could take a lesson (laughs) from the events that you do. And you're bringing in thousands or tens of thousands of leaders and students every year and then COVID is a screeching halt to everything mm-hmm. and the whole business model, not the business model, but like the, the, uh, entire industry is now look, let's just be honest. Years, a couple of years after COVID and most of the big event industries have not recovered from this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was decimated. So
0: COVID happens. How do you lead the company through that?
1: Well, I, 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 I had, uh, a couple of thoughts in my you know the leader has to be have a standard of excellence personally if he expects his team to have a standard of excellence corporately yeah and, and so, i think you
0: need to say that one more time because somebody's driving and they totally missed <laughs> that one and that's so
1: important they need to hear that one again so say that again will you buddy well uh, the the leader whoever whoever leads that organization or business has to have a, a standard of excellence personally or else, they can't expect their team to have a standard of yeah, excellence yeah. corporately. So I had to ask some really tough questions of myself. I, you know, I, I went into my study at home, my office at home, and just, you know, and I wrote down a couple of statements. Um, one is that self-preservation never changed the world. So we're not. So so wow. survival is not the goal. Our yes. goal is protecting not protecting your pres- own skin. No. Is
0: not the ultimate goal
1: we are not going to circle the wagons. Um, so that was the first idea that, that, and then, and then the second idea was, um, what would it look like to completely reimagine the entirety of our organization? You can either ask, how are we going to survive? Which I think is a terrible question, or you can ask, how are we going to reimagine and what other opportunity are you going to have in life to go from, from nuts to soup? We get to reimagine this thing. So
0: Brent, You didn't lose me with that statement, but I want to make sure that everybody heard the magnitude of what you asked (laughs) yourself, because let's just be honest, most business leaders at this point are just hanging on by their fingernails and they're asking, what do I got to do to make it to tomorrow? But you're asking a much bigger, a much more powerful. And I just want to say it, a much scarier question, and that Mm. is what if we changed everything what would it look like if we threw everything out and did something radically different so mm-hmm. go over that question you asked yourself again
1: yeah i you know there's a there's a one of the best leadership books ever written was the leadership challenge by kuz and posner and they mm-hmm. made very famous this statement challenge the process uh and kuz and Posner's arguably one of the most well-researched books that's been written yeah. on the topic yeah. and so what they found is great leaders always challenge the process of what is and what could be. And so, um, you know, as you're sitting there to reimagine your organization is is to, using that Cousin Posner terminology, is to challenge the process of the way you pursue the vision. Yeah. The vision hasn't yeah. changed, or maybe the way of saying it is the mission or the goal hasn't changed, right. but your pursuit of it has to be completely reimagined. It, it, you know, I'm not a prophet. I'm I'm not a psychic. I don't have a magic eight ball at home. I I mean, you no know, none of those things. But I just had a sneaking suspicion this that, that the pandemic wasn't like a rubber band stretching us, and then all of a sudden everything snapped, snap back to where you were. Snap back to where we were. I, this is going to change us, and so we can either see this as a door of opportunity mm-hmm. to, to challenge everything. Or we can see this as how do we get by? Let me give you an example of something radical we did. And even internally, this wasn't a popular decision. And I secretly thought if this one goes south, I'm going to be looking for employment. But
0: <laughs> I'm going to get fired. Uh, yep.
1: I'm going to get fired. Yeah. My, my boss and our board are going to be like, yeah, nice try. But I, we, we, when you do events, you take deposits. Yeah. And so in March of 2020, uh, the unpopular decision was made to give back every deposit that we had received, non-refundable deposits. Yeah, And so in March of 2020, in April of 2020, during those two months, our organization gave back a million dollars of deposits to people who needed them.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Not not obligated to do it. Nobody no. was asking for, I mean, there was a couple that were asking for it, but n- people knew it was a non- Right, re- nobody expected deposit. it of you, right? No. But what would it look like if we went? You know what? You need this right now. We need it too. Let's be honest. <laughs> Nothing Yeah. You know, it's not like we got some deep stash. To pay. Yeah. yeah. But what would that do? What what relational coin would that put in the pocket mm-hmm. of those of our customers to use that term, if if we didn't keep their deposit? And so what we said is, if we haven't spent it, you get it back. So people got checks with. A, a weird dollar amounts, $317 yeah. and four, right. 42 cents. And, you know, I, I, there's probably not a week that goes by where some, uh, you know, somebody we serve doesn't mention like, Hey man, yeah, when y'all did that, gosh, I just went, no matter how this unfolds, I'm sticking with those guys.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. You showed some loyalty to them and now they're mm-hmm. turning around and showing some loyalty to you because of that. I was scheduled to speak that summer and of course Uh, This is the longest period in my life, really, in the last 20 years that I wasn't traveling and speaking somewhere because every event canceled. And I remember getting a call from you and saying, hey, Jeff, instead of coming to Washington, D.C., because we can't bring a big crowd together, why don't you show up at a park in Atlanta? I'm going to have a film crew out there. (laughs) They'll record you. And we're going to figure out a way to do this and a way Mm -hmm. to kind of accomplish the goal. We're just going to have to reimagine it using Mm -hmm. your word and we're gonna have to figure out a way to do it different and and brent when i got that call i was like look at brent go look (laughs) at him he's not honestly you you could have just sat in the ashes and said well it's over you know Mm -hmm. this global pandemic threw us a curveball that we couldn't hit and it's time to pack Mm -hmm. up the the shop and sell the business but you guys man you, you held strong
1: and and, but just we didn't just go summer. virtual. Yeah, we didn't just go virtual, Jeff. The thing is, most people go, oh, you just switched to an online format. We did use, uh, obviously, online platforms, but what we did is we put the learning process in the hands of the student. Yeah. So we, we took an old theory called discovery learning theory and we crafted, um, we crafted an experience that could be acquired by a student, a learner, which would afford them the ability to go on a leadership journey. But it was based around discovery learning theory, which, you know, you, is is creativity and collaboration and critical right. thinking and, yeah. you know, and it just gave them a, what happened is we went from giving them a, a cool in-person experience to a hands-on experience where yeah. Yeah. they were literally holding the steering wheel of their own, of their yeah. own leadership trajectory. So it taught us a lot of stuff about, and there's even a better way to do this than we've been doing it you know right
0: yeah well as you were talking i was sitting there asking myself look on the edge of the pandemic i don't know how long this thing is going to last i don't know what it's going to look like on the other side but i know it's not going to go back to normal Mm -hmm. and i've got bills to pay and we have a million dollars in the bank but we're not sure if we're even going to survive this yeah Would I give that million dollars back to the people that made deposits? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Brent, I'm not sure I've got the courage (laughs) to make that million dollar decision that you made. And obviously, we're on the opposite side of it now. But when you made that decision, man, you were putting the life of your the Mm -hmm. future of your organization on the line, which takes incredible courage, man.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. Make courage or stupidity or naivety or something. I don't know. But but I tell you what happened is um, we went through the summer of 2020, reimagined mm-hmm. uh, our entire summer. We worked for nine weeks, seven days a week to reimagine everything and to launch into a new summer. Um, we get to August, and we had the largest six weeks of giving in the really? history, in the history of our organization. And here's wow. what most people said. And if I said, I would never say who our donors were, but it was people you'd know who they are, corporations and companies. And and they went, hey, we were just looking around for people who were actually doing something, who weren't just sitting back. In other words, they weren't trying to just survive. Play
0: it safe, yeah.
1: And yeah, we didn't want to give to safe. We didn't want to give to keep the the lights on. We wanted to give to somebody's vision. And so staying true to your vision and just challenging the process opened us up to a whole new world of people who wanted to contribute that formerly we didn't even have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was there a time in the pandemic where you guys thought, I don't know, man, I don't know if we're going to make it or not. Like this could be it for
1: us. Yeah. I think if we all did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was probably when you get to the end of year one and you go, it's not over. Yeah. And you look at your spreadsheet and you go, it's getting kind of skinny. Yeah. I, there was, there was a moment where we were, living week to week, month to month, as far as the financial lifeblood of our organization. Um, You know, our incredible president, Dr. Jay Strack, our founder and president, myself, uh, as our vice president, we just went, our executive team said, we've got to lead the way. And so we we all took massive pay cuts. uh, And I mean, massive. And Wow. Because, and this is the beauty of being belonging to something you believe in. We also took massive yeah. pay cuts, but then we also went into our own savings and tried to pour it into the organ. I mean, so you just do everything wow. you can do. And, uh, you know, it's not about, you know, it's not at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not highly motivated by money. Money's very important, but it was really cool to get to the other side of this pandemic and go, man, I'm financially blessed more now. Yeah. Uh, than I was prior. So, yeah, it's it was uh there was a few uh, skinny months there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, everybody who's listening to this episode, their life was impacted. Most of us, your life mm-hmm. was disrupted, maybe even severely disrupted by covid. And there were points along the way where you were saying the same thing, like, wait, it's not over I thought we would be out of it by this point. And I don't know how I'm going to keep things going. Let's just be honest. N- millions of people around the world had to declare bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Many people found so they were so challenged by it that they couldn't handle it and started to reach out for outside help. Some people jumped off of buildings or put a pistol in their mouth. It was that bad.
1: It was that bad.
0: Yeah. And you guys went through it as a company, you went through it personally, I mean, even to the point that you're sacrificing your own pay and dipping into your savings to because you believe in student leadership university this mm-hmm. much, but man, it's scary along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you hang in there, man? At some point you gotta say, I don't even know if I've got what it takes to keep doing this and what happens if it all turns south? So why didn't you throw in the towel?
1: well there's no way to answer that question without talking about my faith um you and I are both men of faith we believe yeah. deeply in in yeah. in, 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 in our, our faith as Christians and um you know the the the, the story of Christianity is is one that is uh, as messy as a story can be at times yeah uh, but at the heart of our faith is this idea that God is with us um that there, there is that Jesus is real and that he put on, as, as, as Eugene Peterson wrote in the message, that he put on human skin and moved into mm-hmm. the neighborhood. And when Jesus moves into your neighborhood, fear no longer has a residence. Wow. And so I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. I'm a passionate follower of Jesus. And I, uh, I wrote this statement down. In fact, I wrote this statement down, Jeff, sitting in a, a, a neuro ICU room years ago I wonder if my father after he suffered a stroke would live yeah. or die and i wrote this statement down that god's presence his unfailing presence is his enduring provision and so when you truly understand that god's presence in your life is god's provision for your life yeah yeah then there hasn't been a circumstance invented that you cannot endure
0: Um, I I just wrote this statement down because, man, it made the hair on my arm stand up. For the person that's really struggling right now with overwhelming circumstances, and you're scared about how this thing is going to turn out, Brent, you just said it beautifully, man. When Jesus moves Mm -hmm. in, fear has no choice but to move out Mm because now you've got help that is supernatural and bigger than your circumstances. And
1: well, well, your your podcast is called the Unbeatable Podcast, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. this conversation. Yeah, you and you and I believe in a story in which evil was doomed from the beginning. That's right, doomed from and, the start. And so we, we there is a, there is this unbeatable theme in our lives, not because of us. That's but right, but because the one who is in us has overcome the world and has all authority. And so we. Whatever day it is, and no matter how bad the day, and let's be honest, there's some bad days. There's some really bad days. No matter know? how bad the day is, because of our faith, we we know this is not how the story ends. The story yeah. doesn't end with evil. The story ends with good and God working all things together for my good. And that's the beauty. That's the faith factor, if you will, yeah. to the life and leadership journey. Yeah.
0: Now you guys that are listening know why I respect this guy. look up to him so much because he's just nailed the essence of this podcast. This podcast is built for those people that just got punched in the face by life and it knocked you to the mat. And you're asking yourself, do I have what it takes to get back up and get back on my feet? And then this moment where life becomes so overwhelming Mm -hmm. that you don't have it inside you. And Brent's just nailed it. And that's when a supernatural hand of God reaches down and picks you up and gives you the strength to get Mm -hmm. back up on your feet. And though you get knocked down, I'm using some Bible language now, knocked Mm -hmm. down seven times, you get back up eight because Mm -hmm. there is something inside you that's stronger than the circumstances that are going on outside you.
1: Jeff, can I share a little prayer that's impacted my life, especially on, on tough seasons? There's an author, you've probably read him, Brennan Manning Brennan Manning, mm-hmm. excuse me. Yeah. He's a quirky dude, let's just be honest. One of those fascinating, quirky guys. Um and he wrote a book called The Furious Longing of God, and he he gave uh, us readers of his book a little prayer that corresponds with the rhythm of our breathing, which at first I thought, oh, this is weird. But I I actually heard him out and read it and and, uh, uh, you, but, you
0: said, oh, let me give this guy a little bit of,
1: yeah, you know, let, let, let yeah. me give him a chance. And maybe he's not too crazy. And so, uh, I, but it, the prayer goes like this, Abba, I belong to you. And so he said, it corresponds with the rhythm of our breathing. If you were to, if you were to breathe in Abba, Abba. and as you, and as you exhale, I belong to I you. I belong to you. Yeah. And so I, uh, he challenged his readers to take, you know, 10 minutes a day and just pray that prayer over and over again. Um. And then, and to do that for a month and see what kind of an impact that would have on your outlook as you navigated circumstances that were very difficult. Yeah. And that simple seven-syllable prayer has had such a profound impact on on me reminding myself of what God has done for me. Right. Yeah. Abba, I belong, that literally I serve a God who climbs in the ditch with my pain and goes, hey, you're not alone. And that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful truth that can help one endure uh, a myriad of seasons. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you say he climbs in the ditch with your pain, that ought to help anyone right now who's really struggling to say, Does God know? Does he care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knows he cares. Not only does he know and he cares, but he gets in the ditch with you in the middle of your pain and doesn't yeah. leave you there to figure it out on your own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So true.
0: Brent, we're going to wrap up by talking about SLU. Um, I don't know that I've ever said this to you personally, but as you know, I've taken a couple of my children with me when I'm speaking to audiences at SLU. I've taken my daughters with me more than once. And Brent, before we get to the SLU gathering, here's what I've said to my daughters. I hope you would find a husband in this room because the Mm. gathering of people that are in this room are the kind of men that I would like you to fall in love with and marry. Mm. What I'm saying is there's something really beautiful, something really special about the kind of people that Student Leadership University attracts. And I thought to myself, this is a few years ago, whenever I started returning again and again to Mm. SLU 201 in Washington, DC, Brent and this organization has the ability to change the future Mm. of a country by changing the culture over a generation or two. I really cannot think of anything else in the United States that I can say that about, but I'm Mm. that much of a believer in SLU and what SLU has the potential to do Wow. So for a lot of the parents out there that have never heard about this before, can you describe what happens to a student as they go through this SLU process? And I, I'm I'm going to kind of try to wrap it up by saying, if you did this with enough people over enough time, it would change an entire country. So yeah, describe the, the process for through the eyes of a student, would you?
1: Yeah, well, I think what happens is people like to say you got a great program. Um, we, we have a great program because we have great students
0: yeah, and, you really and do. so we,
1: there's a, there's, there's, um, there's a type of student who's hungry to make their life count. That is, is attending these experiences. That's for sure. So we're already starting out on second base, you know, and, yeah. but I, we're trying to teach these students that, Hey, you only have one story. Your, 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 your life is, is a story. We see that in scripture often. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's a an author named Henrietta Mears that said the, and I'm summarizing, but she said, the gift that God gives us is we get to write the autobiography of our own souls. So we wow. get to write our story. That's the gift that God gives us, but you only get one. <laughs> you get one story.
0: Yeah, and you don't get a chance to write somebody else's story.
1: No, you don't. So what we're trying to do is help uh, a generation of students tell a story with their lives that has redemption as the central theme mm-hmm. and the Redeemer as the hero. And when the, that's the theme and that's the hero, redemption and re, the Redeemer, when, when those two things are, are the, the centerpiece of your story, well, my goodness, then you're positioned to do excellence in all things and, and you're positioned to build healthy relationships, you're yeah. positioned to manage your time, you're positioned to dream big dreams and be equipped to pursue those dreams. So the, that's kind of the big idea of SOU. Now, mm-hmm. practically, we're trying to equip them by teaching them what does it mean not to be first a citizen of the United States of America. Right. The the best way you can impact your country is to have your feet firmly planted on the ground, but to have a heavenly mindset. Yeah, that's right. So so how do you how do you act and think as a citizen of heaven in the here and now? And so that um, that is a, a huge, huge, huge uh, aspect of of how we put our programs together, um, and how yeah yeah how we just have gone about building this thing. And so you got a story, you get to tell one story with your life. Um, And then uh, if you do, the practical side is how do you, how do you act like a citizen of heaven in the, in the here and now?
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, just talking to countless students going through the program, I I sit back and I watch them and I'm like, man, there's something very different about these students. And Mm -hmm. what SLU does is attract people that are just incredible Guys and gals, to get them together in the same room, and uh, iron starts to shyper, sharpen iron. And by the time that this is over with, you're like, man, these mm-hmm. people can turn the world upside down. You just pour into them a little bit and turn them loose, and they yeah. really can turn the world upside down.
1: One of the first things our students hear us say is that you'll be the same person you are five years from today, except for the people that you meet, the places yeah. that you go, and the books that you read. So we want them. To be introduced to some—that's why we love having you, Jeff. You—you're a hero. You're—you're an—but you're, uh, an, you're somebody who is—is is grace and truth, strong and compassionate. You show the young men in the room. You don't have to choose between kindness and strength. Right. In yeah. fact, you're stronger when you are kind. That's right. And so you're such an incredible example for our students. But. By the time they go through the journey, they've met some very historic, very influential people yeah. uh, in the states, and Europe, and Middle East, and wherever it may be. Uh, but then the places you go, I, I, you know, I, the chaplain for the United States Senate, Chaplain Barry Black, said to mm-hmm. our, our our crew years ago, "I'd rather you read three pages of Aristotle than three hundred pages about Aristotle." In other words. I'd rather right. you have a primary source experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only right. way to do that is to go to the place where it happened. Yeah. So we try to take them to very. I mean, by the time they go through the journey, the obviously our nation's capital, but then yeah. they're going to be world history and church history collide in London. Mm-hmm. So they're going to see the cabinet war rooms where Winston Churchill strategized World War II. They're going to they're going to walk Westminster Abbey. They're going to they're going to. Sit in the in the in the church where C.S. Lewis worshipped for thirty plus years. They're, all these things are going to happen. They're going to walk the beaches of Normandy. They're yeah. they're going to do a private wreath length ceremony at 401. Yeah. They're going to walk where Jesus walked, and everything from the Valley of Elah to the Sea of Galilee to the Temple Mount to the Bethlehem. To I mean, Jordan, and you go to Jordan so you can see Jerash, which is one of the oldest excavated cities in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's just uh, you can go up on top of Mount Nebo. I could go on and on, but you're going to the places right? and and then the books you read. What happens is if you give people an appetite for all this stuff, then they become lifelong learners and they go out and try to study some more on their own. So the people you meet, the places you go and the books you read. And then, of course, the last thing I would say is that we teach them that leadership begins at the feet of Jesus, the kind yeah. that matters, the kind that's transformational yeah. Yeah. begins at the feet of Jesus. So, yeah, that's that's kind of our approach.
0: My three favorite, and for me, the three most special spots on planet Earth are Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the beaches of Normandy, and Arlington National Cemetery. And in 201, you've got him in Arlington National Cemetery. Mm-hmm. In 301, you've got him in Normandy, France. And in 401, you've got him in Jerusalem. And I'm like, this guy, you and Dr. J Strack <laughs> are guys after my own heart because I would spend the rest of my life. And those three places, they've just got Mm -hmm. such a big influence on me personally. How could you visit those sites, see them with your own eyes and not go back a little bit different because
1: of it? Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: I hope every parent that's listening right now is thinking to themselves or grandparent, you're thinking, I don't know what it takes. I don't know how I'm going to pull this one off, but I'm going to figure out a way to get my children into SLU because I'm the guy who will tell you those students will change the world. They're that incredible. And it's the Mm. only organization I'll keep going back Mm. again and again and again because I walk away just blown away by the quality of people that you have in that room.
1: You're so kind, my friend. You're so kind to say that and and to endorse us in that way. It's such a you've made my day. Thank you very, very much.
0: Well, before I let you go, let's talk about a couple of your books. Let's talk about the last (laughs) one that just came out. 10 Steps to Your Best Life. Tell everybody what you set out to do when you wrote this book. And then when we wrap up, I'm going to tell everybody how they can get a copy
1: of it. Thank you, my friend. Well, my publisher came to me and said, you know, this phrase, your best life. It's been tossed around a lot it's become yeah,
0: maybe people have heard that before
1: yeah it sadly it's become part of the the common vernacular of our age yeah. and what would it look like to filter that phrase through the grid of scripture um and so i i they wanted me to write a book that had the phrase your best life in it and i thought this is the dumbest idea on the planet like this <laughs> all right but you're the pu- you're the publisher so yeah, you know you're the smart people uh, uh, so but this i i took this idea took it to scripture and i just took the paradigm for living that we see outlined in the 10 commandments and genesis
0: or i mean um, exodus chapter
1: 20 right like. yeah yeah and and but it wasn't the way i tried to do it is a little bit backwards is is i tried to take the new testament teachings mm-hmm. on the old on the 10 commandments and to work backwards um yeah. and it was a so it's a fun project but it really if we follow that paradigm that we see in exodus that we see taught uh, reinforced in the new testament it really does give us a paradigm to live the best kind of life that as followers of jesus we can live in this world so it's uh it was a fun challenging i've written several it was the probably the most challenging one that i've written because i there's a part of me that goes best life man you grind it yeah. out for jesus and all but it was a it was a challenging book and i'm i'm very grateful that I, that i wrote it and, and was privileged to do so
0: Well, one of the reasons I want people to go out and get a copy of this, and by the way, we'll put a link to where you can find it and the notes to this broadcast, is when you think Ten Commandments, typically the average person thinks rules and restrictions and you're holding me back. And even in the title of your book, you're saying, wait a second, maybe those aren't rules and restrictions that are holding you back. Maybe it's a guardrail or some boundaries to make life really awesome if you'll just Mm -hmm. live within the the boundaries here.
1: Yeah. It helps us to live life as God intended it to be lived. And if God's the one that created life and he's going, this is how you live it, that's going to be the most enjoyable life one could live. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's not breaking the boundaries that's fun. It's get inside those boundaries and then just have a good time while you're inside those boundaries. And yeah. if anybody knows how to have a good time and use some humor along the way, it's Brent Crow. <laughs> so I want you guys to go out and check out a copy of 10 Steps to Your Best Life by Brent Crow.
1: Thank you, my friend. Very, very kind. Brent,
0: thank you for being part of this episode. You gave me a few quotes that I've just written down that I'm going to put into practice this week. One of them is I'm going to choose love and then I'm going to do my best. That's what I'm going to get up tomorrow and do just like you have challenged your family and just like you have challenged yourself to be personal. Thanks for being a guest on this
1: episode of Unbeatable Buddy. Thanks for allowing me. You're the best.
0: You are too. Hey guys, I heard some things from Brent today that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of this year. And one of the things Brent challenged me to do, I hope you will take this challenge as well, is get up tomorrow, choose love, and then do your best. And at the end of 2023, you won't have to regret the decision that you made if you know you chose love and then you just did your best when circumstances came your way. I want to thank you for tuning in for this episode of Unbeatable maybe you stumbled across this podcast for the first time we'd love for you to go ahead and join this podcast on your favorite platform just go ahead and subscribe right there and if you're already listening to us regularly why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media you can find us on just about any of the prominent social media platforms hey did you know that I have this free video resource it's my top 10, top 11 motivational thoughts on how to get through some of your biggest challenges. And you can have that resource. It's totally free for you. If you wanna hang on to it and then look at it this year when times get tough, just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com and you'll see the link to this motivational video. I wanna thank you for joining me and my guest Brent Crow on this episode of Unbeatable. See you next week. Thank you.